We're going to read from the Bible. It's in the middle of your booklet. It's a short reading from the Gospel of John. And then I'm going to speak on that, bringing a message. John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. After the two days, he, that's Jesus, left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And that's where Jesus was from. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him. And he begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was still living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said this to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Many years ago, an old Welsh preacher rose slowly to his feet in a chapel and he began to speak. And he said this, when I was a boy of about 12, I had a great hero. I'm not going to do the Welsh accent, okay? My hero was a local sportsman who had achieved the rare distinction of playing rugby for his country and played cricket to county standard. So I admired this man and I papered the walls of my room with press cuttings and photos of him and I loved to talk about him and hear about his exploits on the sports field. He was my great hero. The preacher then continued, when I was 14, I actually got to know my hero personally. He was a keen fisherman and I used to go fishing with him. And on these occasions, I was able to observe him from an entirely different viewpoint. And I got to know the man, not merely the image. The preacher paused, looked at the congregation, and shook his head slowly from side to side. And he said this, The nearer I got, the smaller he became. The nearer I got, the smaller he became. And he told how he discovered the true character of the man whose image he had adored, and how he'd become deeply disillusioned. And then he said this, God eventually led that downcast schoolboy to a new hero. And I've walked with my Jesus for 35 years now. And in that time, I have often disappointed him, but he has never disappointed me. In fact, as I've got to know him better, the nearer I get, the bigger he becomes. The nearer I get to Jesus, the bigger he becomes. 
And that's what we're finding at the moment in King's Church. We're doing a series, here it is, it's called Come and See. These are words that people say in the book of John several times. Come and see. Could this be the Messiah? Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come, come and see him. This is what we've been discovering. The nearer you get to Jesus, the bigger he becomes. And it's particularly, we've seen it in several conversations that Jesus has had. Last week, we were thinking about a conversation Jesus had with a woman who he met at a well. Complete stranger. And he crossed all the cultural, ethnic, gender boundaries of his day and spoke to this woman in such a way that she was convinced not only that he was very wise, not only that he was godly, but that he was actually God's rescuer. Jesus has already been to a wedding and turned water into wine and spoken about that revealing his glory. Jesus has spoken to the top religious brain in the country and educated him and told him, you might think you know everything, but you know you need to be born again. You need new birth to become an entirely new person on the inside. Every time we meet Jesus in John's Gospel, we see something new, and this is because Jesus is no ordinary man. He is God in the flesh. The big word is incarnate. God in the flesh. He is God become man, one of us walking the streets with feet just like ours. And he's the one who made the entire universe, spoke it into being. But he's also the one who meets us where we are at. And the book has made this big reveal right at the start. You see, when Jesus Christ shows up in a person's life, he turns it upside down. He rearranges all the furniture. You heard a bit of that from the people who were getting baptized, didn't you? He rearranges the furniture. Things are never the same again, but you wouldn't want them to be the same. You wouldn't want to go back to the way things were because he is so great. Now today, we're in another encounter, and if you want to keep your little booklet open, you've got the text in front of you, and I think this goes to another level, and the more I think about this story, the more I am amazed by what we just read. I'm amazed by this conversation. You could easily skip over it, but when you stop and think, this encounter with this man is actually very, it's stunning, and it's very uncomfortable. There's nothing cozy about Jesus. It's very uncomfortable. There's something deeply uncomfortable here. It's meant to unsettle us. What Jesus says to this man, this royal official, is uncomfortable. But the point of it is to make us stop think and to arrest our attention Jesus wants to get your attention today he makes a challenge and this is the very thing that we need to know today the very thing we need to grasp because it speaks to you and me directly the point is this we all tend to live as though seeing is believing. If I can see it, I'll believe it. If I can see it and touch it and experience it, then I'll trust it, okay? We live as if seeing is believing. We all do it. But Jesus Christ demands the complete opposite. The complete opposite. Because according to Jesus, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Now, I just got two points today. And you might even have guessed what they are. Seeing isn't believing, and believing is seeing. But when I came up with those points, in fact, after I I wrote them, I was appalled to discover that they're actually a quote from a Christmas movie called The Santa Claus. And to some of you, you may be really pleased to hear about that film, because it's not often quoted. 
To others, I've just lost all credibility. <laughs> this apparently is a quote from Little Elf Judy. <laughs> but Little Elf Judy spoke the truth on that occasion. Sums up the message. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. There it is on the screen. Thank you for putting that up, guys. Seeing isn't believing. We pick up the story. Jesus has just come off from a trip to a place called Samaria. He had this extraordinary conversation with a woman there. Uh, she heard what he said. He spoke to her heart. She was convicted. He drew her out from her defenses and showed her great love. And she went back to her home village and said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah, the rescuer? And those Samaritan people, they weren't from Jesus' same group. They were a group that were totally different. They responded to this Jewish man with great faith. They reached out to him. They asked him. They actually pleaded with him. Will you stay with us? So he stayed with them for two more days, and he taught them and encouraged them. And they believed him. And now Jesus goes back to his home region. Jesus goes up north. And Jesus was a northerner. He actually had a northern accent. Why did he go? Now look at, again in, in our uh, text. It's kind of curious this. People have dis debated this. After the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So he's told them, I'm going back home and I'm going to have no honor there. They're not going to respect me. They're not going to view me for who I am. There's no honor for a prophet in his own country. So why is he going? It says literally in the, uh, in the text, in the original language, that he left for Galilee because he said a prophet has no honor in his own country. He's deliberately going there because he's not going to get any honor there. And up there, he's, he's well known, but he's not close to the action down in Jerusalem. He can calm things down a bit. And while Jesus is there in his home area, he has this extraordinary encounter with this man. He's a royal official, person of some substance. He's a well, civil servant, I guess we would say. And he makes a journey from a place called Capernaum to Cana to meet Jesus. Why does he do it? Because his son is close to death. His young son. Now, there's a number of people in this room who are parents. There's a number of people who are grandparents. Whew. There is not much in this world that can disturb you as much as seeing your child really ill, is there? I mean, you would do anything to see them better. When my, I've got one daughter and four sons, and I love them all the same. When my daughter was about 18 months, two years old, she had what uh, is, I later came to learn was a febrile convulsion. And if you don't know what that is, the baby goes really, really hot, overheats, then turns blue, then has a fit, Oh, sorry, lips turn blue, has a fit and then just lies there like this. It's terrifying. And we were new parents. We didn't know what it was. We were terrified. My, my wife got blue lighted to the hospital, went into Kingston. There we were. There's a little rosy little bundle sitting on this bed, all the fact, crouched up there. And I managed to get to the hospital. And they said, we're going to do um, this spinal fluid test. And it's too upsetting for the parents to see it. So we're going to ask you to, to step out, please. So there we were with our little daughter there in this, like a little scrap of, of humanity just curled up on this bed just looking at us. All these peep strangers around her. 
about to put a whacking great needle in her spine, and then they pull the curtain across. Oh, my days. I still remember it. The desperation that you feel. I'd do anything to get her better. You'd do anything. And this man, he's seen his son slipping away. It says there he was close to death. And he's heard the stories about Jesus. This guy, Jesus, he's healed people of, any, you name it, he's healed people. He's an amazing healer. It's supernatural. So he makes the journey to come to meet Jesus. He comes in person and he begs him. He begged him to come and heal my son, Jesus. Please. And nobody begs like the parent of a terminally ill child, do they? Now just imagine that scene. Imagine the tone of the man's voice and the people around looking at him and looking at Jesus. The drama. Everybody knows that Jesus somehow can heal people. Everybody's heart goes out to this man, right? And in light of all that, just look at Jesus' response. Just look at this, the bottom of the page. Here's what he says. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the atmosphere? He's begging you to go and heal his son. We all know you can do it. And this is what you say, Jesus. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, this man probably is, uh, his jaw is on the floor, but Jesus is getting at something here. Jesus is choosing this moment to critique people who only believe when they see something miraculous happening for their good. He's choosing this moment to make a very big point. He's not picking on this man in particular. This, this man is the same as everybody else, including us. Our basic position is that if I see it, I'll believe it. But that is not enough for Jesus Christ. In fact, that position, if I see it, I'll believe it, it leaves a person in great spiritual danger. It is no rescue, no use at all. That's why he's so severe about it. You see, according to Jesus, saying I've seen it, therefore I believe, is not really faith at all. Now this is very striking because it's making an emotional impact in that room and maybe it's making an emotional impact in this room too. In the light of the pleading father and the great need, Jesus Christ stops and says, there's something here that's even more important than me just relieving your distress. The thing that's more important is that you understand the nature of faith that will save you. There's something so important to Jesus, it's more important than rescuing this man from his distress. And it's this, that we come to believe in him truly. That's the most important thing. And you might say, well, you know, the man did believe, didn't he? I mean, he's heard about Jesus. He's got some kind of trust that some miracle could be done. He's made the trip in, in person. And you're right, you know, you're right. He did believe, but only as far as it went. And it wasn't far enough for Jesus. Merely believing that Jesus is able to do certain things, merely believing that Jesus is a wise teacher, you know, he made some good teachings, or that he's some sort of spiritual being with power, merely believing all that is not enough for Jesus. Jesus Christ wants to move people to true faith 
in him. And true faith means complete trust in Jesus in everything. That's true faith. Complete trust in Jesus Christ in everything, especially when you can't see it. So it's completely different to seeing is believing. Let me just put it this way like a little thought experiment for us. Imagine that this man had got what he'd asked for for the first time. That Jesus turned to him and said, I'm so sorry to hear about your son. Of course I'll come with you. Come on, let's go to Capernaum right now. And off they go. What would have actually happened to the man spiritually? What would he have got? He would have got Jesus as the healer. The supernatural GP. But in the story, he gets much more. He gets Jesus as the Lord and Savior. He gets Jesus as the awesome one with whom you can trust your entire life. Not just a healer who comes and puts some hands on and somehow does something great. Not just a supernatural GP, but someone of immense, awesome stature and power and authority who heals with a word at a distance. So you can trust him with anything if he can do that. That's what Jesus is pushing the people towards. You see, he doesn't want to just give the man his son back. Jesus Christ wants to give the man himself. Not just do him a favor, a big favor, but give him a life-changing encounter with God, with Jesus. In other words, Jesus Christ is more interested in getting you into a right relationship with him than he is of granting you relief from distress. It's so important for us to get this especially in our generation. It's more important to Jesus. He's more interested in getting you in a right relationship with him than he is of granting you relief from your suffering and distress. And that's where it connects with us all in this room because we're all in some kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you are thinking, I didn't know, don't think I am. Now your relationship with Jesus might be that you don't believe in him at all. As Matthew said, he was a few years ago. Your relationship might be that you're curious about him. You're skeptical. You're not sure. You're on the fence. Your relationship might be that you're sort of, a sort of, believe in him, but you're kind of halfway in. You're halfway in. You know, you've got one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana skin. Your relationship might be that you're leaning on Jesus with all your strength, but you're finding it hard at the moment. We're all in some kind of relationship with him. It comes out in our prayers. And even atheists pray at times. We pray when the chips are down. We pray when life is awful. I guess we've all prayed for a miracle at some point or another. We may have prayed something like this. God, if you'd only do this, then I'll believe in you. And you fill in the gap. God, if you'd only heal me from this terrible sickness then I'll believe in you. God, if you'd only give me a life partner, someone to love and cherish, then I'll believe in you. God, get me out of this terrible situation that I'm in, and then I'll believe in you. Lord, help my child in dire need, and then I'll believe in you. But the thing is, such prayers have got two very big problems. The first problem is that we are setting the terms for God. If you come through for me on this, then I'll believe in you. That's the wrong way around. Who's the Lord here? And the second problem is that we are pursuing God for what we can get from him 
not for who he is. And God doesn't want that kind of relationship. It's sometimes been called cupboard love. You know, you give a dog a certain kind of treat and the dog will love you. You give kids a lot of chocolate, you'll be really popular. Cupboard love. God is not satisfied with such prayers. God is too great and too glorious for that kind of cheap relationship where we set the terms and where we pursue him for what we want to get from him. God is not interested in being tested and, and giving us cupboard love. You wouldn't think that was a good way to pursue a human being in a romantic relationship, would you? If you do this for me, then I'll love you. You wouldn't think it was, it was a good way to approach another human being. Then why should we think it's a good way to approach a relationship with an infinitely higher being who gave us everything we have? That's why Jesus chooses this opportunity to press home this lesson very powerfully, and he shocks us all. Unless you see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. And Jesus wants to press this home. True faith humbly accepts God's terms and God's timing and trusts God at his word, not what we see. True faith trusts Jesus even when it can't see. True faith is faith in the dark. And that's the second part of the conversation. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. And have a look there um, on the right-hand side of the page. This is the breathtaking part of this story. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He took him at his word. He's He's just... He's just, jaws just dropped. I've just told him my son is dying. This is hardly the time to debate abstracts of faith. We need action, Jesus. But Jesus says, go, your son will live. And he takes him at his word. And that is the breakthrough. That is the breakthrough. He goes off on his own. And I wonder if it was the longest journey of his life. Now on the way to Cana, he'd been worried and anxious, but at least he had some hope. Now he's going home empty-handed. He's given his best shot to bring the healer back and he's returning alone. All he has to go on is a promise. The naked word of Jesus. Nothing else. And it's a long way on foot. It requires an overnight stop. I doubt he slept a wink that night, do you? Tossing and turning all night long. I'm sure he could see his son's face and he's wondering, will I see him alive again? But while he's still on the journey, his servants come to meet him. It's a 20-mile journey or something and on foot, and they've set off as soon as they could. And they're smiling, and they're saying, Boss! Boss! Great news! He's better! He's completely fine. The fever just left him. He's right as rain. And he says, well, when was it? Yesterday, one in the afternoon. And that was the exact moment that Jesus had spoken the words. So then, his eyes are fully opened and his whole household believe. You see, now he really believes. Now he has true faith. True faith accepts the terms that Jesus sets. Off you go. I don't need to come with you. True faith accepts the timing of Jesus. The boy will get better when I decide. True faith takes Jesus at his word. Though the man has never seen such a thing before and we've never seen it, though it requires believing that Jesus' words have power to create and change situations, he goes and he believes. Faith is that journey. 
Now notice faith has got stages in it. And you picked some of that up from the people who were baptized today, I think. Different stages. It came from different places. Different ways in. This man had three stages. First of all, he believed that Jesus could do something to change the situation. Secondly, he took Jesus at his word and went along with it. And thirdly, he then realized that Jesus could do all he could do and he fully believed. There's different stages. Now, friends, Jesus Christ is not content with the kind of sitting on the fence kind of faith. That is not enough for him. He's not interested in dishing out favors in return for gratitude. He's calling the man to total trust and dependence. He's calling the man to the kind of faith that goes beyond seeing. And that's what he's calling you to today. You and me. He's calling us to total trust and dependence in spite of what we see and in spite of what we experience based on what he has told us in his words. In Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar, two characters, Brutus, excuse me, Brutus and Cassius, are discussing the conduct of a war. And Brutus points out that if we don't act now, we're probably going to get really beaten. And he says this, there is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. But omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. On such a full sea we are now full afloat, and we must take the current when it serves or lose our ventures. Our lives are like that. If we stay at Seeing is believing. Oh, well, I don't know. I'm on the fence. I'm, just, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not committed. I'm agnostic. I'm not sure. If we stay at that, I'll only believe it if God shows up and does something for me. We are bound in the shallows and in our misery. If our faith relies on our sight, then we, we will be rocked by suffering. We will be rocked by sickness and loss and grief. Suffering will shake us to the core if we are depending on our sight. And our lives would be like a small boat on an ocean tossed and turned because living by sight is insecure. It's not an anchor in the storm. But if we take Jesus Christ at his word, what he said to us, we start out on the journey home and we find that faith grows as we trust him. We find a new strength to change. We find a new strength to show kindness to other people. We find a new strength to forgive them when they wrong us. We find a new stability in the storm of life. If we take Jesus at his word, we can live by faith and not by sight, and it's much stronger. And this is why this is vital. Faith leads to life. Faith will give you life. Right at the end of this book of John, which we're reading, John actually tells us why he wrote it. He sort of leaves the key at the back door. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these ones are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So it's all written down so that we may have life, rescue, deliverance. Jesus wants that for you and for me. Do you want it for yourself? On the 20th anniversary of this uh, building, 
a great London preacher came and spoke. Uh, he's a man called Dick Lucas. And he spoke actually from John's Gospel, and he said this, life is John's favorite word for salvation. Salvation means rescue and deliverance. So what have we been rescued from? Three things that you won't hear about in the newspapers or the general election when it comes. We've been rescued from the three greatest problems. Spiritual death, when we live in God's world without any knowledge of him. Physical death, when we face the future, because we're all going to die, without any hope. And eternal death, when we live forever without any knowledge of the love of God or our fellow men and women. These are the deepest, the worst, the greatest problems in our world and for every single person here. And what this book is saying is you can have life, rescue from spiritual, physical and eternal death through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that trusts him no matter what because you believe he can be trusted. Faith that takes him at his word even though our sight and experience says something different. Francis Van Alstein was a American woman. She became known as Fanny Crosby in her married life. She was born in 1820 and she lost her sight at six weeks of age due to medical mistreatment. She was blind. It could have made her a bitter person. Based on her experience, she could have been angry at God and turned against him. But Fanny Crosby put her faith in Jesus Christ and her faith grew stronger. Her weakness caused her to rely on him all the time. She drew all her strength from Jesus, and she became a writer. She wrote some powerful and inspiring poems, some of them to music. And it's the poetry of someone who believed in and trusted Jesus, in spite of not being able to see him or anything else. This is what she wrote. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Oh, what heavenly peace and comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For whatever may befall me, Jesus will do all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Although my weary feet may stumble and my soul may thirsty be, Pouring from the rock before me, there a spring of joy I see. You see how she was able to say that? Because she believed in Jesus Christ. So, friends, where are you in this story? Are you a Galilean? You kind of welcome Jesus. You, Jesus is a good guy. You know, I respect him, his teaching. But you're not following him. He's not got the honor and the trust and the admiration. and the, You're not leaning your life on him. Or are you the man at stage one? You know, you're kind of on the way, but you don't really trust him yet. You, you think you need him to do these things first. Or are you on the journey home? Are you trusting Jesus, taking him at his word, even though you can't see it right now? We need to get on the journey home. So if you're a follower of Jesus who needs to renew their faith, this is the moment. Pray with me in a moment. And if you're a person who's really at the early stages of all this and you're just not sure, you could sign up for a course we're running here at the church 
in a few weeks' time. It's in the back page of your booklet, and we call it Almost Too Good to Be True. That's a quote from one of our young people about the Christian message. It's almost too good to be true. We're doing a course called Christianity Explored under that banner, and there's the details and a QR code. Or come and chat to me afterwards. That's if you need to do a course. But you know what? There might be one person here who doesn't need to do a course. You're ready now. You're ready to put your faith in Christ right now. So don't hold back. Do it as I'm praying. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, we're so stunned by we, the way we see you act to people. It's not what any of us expect. It, it's, it's unsettling. And then we realize the depth of what you're trying to achieve in our hearts and how it's all meant for our good. And that will be true for the life circumstances of some people in this room right now who are just unsettled and feel they're in the dark. And we ask that you fill them with your power to believe how amazing, how big your love is for them and that you are 100% committed to them. And in the end, you will make all things well. Help them to trust you. And for the person now who knows that they're ready to put their trust in Jesus Christ, I ask that you would speak to them just like this man, that you would give them your word and that they would know you saved them right now. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.